for me personally, I've never gotten over the amazement of planting a seed and then seeing it sprout and then eventually harvesting it. I just, it always blows my mind that, you know, I love systems and things to be efficient and nature's just figured it out. It doesn't waste energy. And I just, I think that's so cool. No matter how many times I experience it, I'm always just like, oh, I don't know. I, I'm a total dork when it comes to it. I admit it. <laughs> On this episode of Establish Your Empire, I have Nathan Heath. Nathan is the co-founder of Cultivate and is a master farmer with a lifetime experience who has supplied the best chefs in Central Texas with gourmet produce. With his brother, Luke, they have united behind a common love of people, farming, and technology to realize their vision of growing fresh, sustainable food in yards across Texas. You're listening to the Establishing Your Empire show, a podcast that inspires entrepreneurs, creatives, and future business owners to pursue their passions, grow their organizations, and build their empire. My name is Darren Herman, and creatively, I'm best known for my photography. But business-wise, my claim to fame is growing a company from 15K per month in online sales to breaking the $1 million a month barrier. And I'm sitting down with interesting people to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and how they have established their empires. Why don't you start off with just a Maybe a little brief background of um, who you are, what you do, kind of your story. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, kind of got involved in, in farming the natural way. I was born on a farm and uh, spent a lot of my time on and off uh, involved in agriculture in different ways until my early 20s where uh, I went and did some other things for a while. And then I got back involved in it um, a little over a decade ago here in Central Texas where my family and I had an organic vegetable farm in Bastrop. At first, we mainly sold at the markets, and then over time, met chefs um, and spent the last five years we had the farm selling just direct to them. So that's kind of how we got to here. Uh, about a year ago, I sold the farm, and uh, Luke and I were discussing um, technology. I had already installed some boxes at his house, and he had some really innovative ideas of how technology could actually make growing food easier. Um, prior to that, everybody who had approached me had always been wanting to develop an app to help me sell it, which was not the need. My problem is, and I think this is what you're trying to solve, is we, we did a raised garden in our backyard, right? We get all excited, spend a couple hundred bucks. I even had like a wired water deal to drip it, and we killed three quarters of it, right? <laughs> Didn't know what we are doing. It was yeah. fun. So how would you help? So, like, is that something that you would help like somebody like me, or like what's kind of the uh, game plan there? Uh, I mean, we really want to be able to meet people wherever they're at. So some people um, are more accomplished and they're just looking for a system, which is the, the farm box, which contains a custom blended soil and the watering system. And then some need more of the, the partnership where we would come by on a biweekly basis and help you. Um, so there's, you know, a, a no shortage of things that can go wrong with the plant, especially here in Texas, because the weather is so extreme and the bug pressure can be pretty high. So in that situation, you know, it's, it's always best for me if I can help you from the start so that I can make sure you pick the right soil and get going on the right foot. Um, but, you know, we kind of talk to people and see what level of engagement they want and what are they really wanting to achieve out of their farm boxes. And then we go from there. And when you talk about technology, like what does that mean? Like, because 
the world's so connected, right? You, you know, you, your temp, you, you can change your temperature of your house when you're away. You can have a camera so you can see when somebody comes to the door. Like, what are you guys kind of thinking or have done or going to do with your technology aspect? Sure. Um, Luke's definitely one more focused on the technology roadmap than I. Uh, but the, I guess the easiest way would be taking some of that smart home technology and bringing it outside. Um, there is technology for large-scale agriculture, but it's incredibly cost prohibitive, and it's it's not designed for home users. It's designed for you know farms that are fifty thousand acres and are going to be dropping ten million dollars. Um, so it's bringing more of the smart home technology outside and taking some of the the tedious tasks such as watering and making that more advanced so you won't forget. Um, and then you know the phase three is taking some. I guess uh, some of my knowledge and um, making it accessible through technology. Yeah. So let's um, actually, before we go into kind of your knowledge, which I do want to dive into, what's it like working with your brother? I have three brothers. <laughs> so I've thought about it multiple times. I have a brother's computer programmer. I think it's probably like you. Oh, here we go. Somebody for technology, help me out. <laughs> uh, and I'm pretty, pretty tech savvy, but not a programmer, but I think that's, that's got, you got to have some kind of interesting piece there about working with your brother and launching a company with him. Uh, you know, I, I also have three brothers and a sister. So, uh, Oh, wow. Um, you know, every sibling, as you know, has a different dynamic and, and some just personality wise, it doesn't work very well. And, you know, we definitely, you want to have clear communication and, you know, you definitely don't ever want your business to damage your personal relationship. So, Really, we try and stay in our own wheelhouses of where we feel um, that we're the best at and then have joint conversations about things that overlap. But really is, you know, you know, trusting him and his vision and him understanding of how to take the technology where we need it to go. And then him trusting me that you know, I know what I'm doing with plants and communicating that to him and how that interacts with technology. Um, you know, I've, I've been involved in uh, family businesses before. So um, it does present its own unique challenges, but it's also rewarding in its own unique way. Um, and Luke and I generally have always gotten along. Um, long ago, he was in a band and I used to go help him be a road manager when they went on tour and stuff like that. So um, we spent a lot of time hanging out over the years. It really just sounds like it's very similar to any partnership, really. You got to be able to trust each other and have uh, good communication and uh, be able to stay out of their way yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so why don't you give me a little bit more detail about, um, so you, you've been a farmer for a long time, but uh, from what I've read, you, you, you have supplied a lot of the local restaurants and stuff like that. Maybe just give me a little bit more detail, like what that looks like and why, you know, because farming, a lot of people don't know what that means is, you know, is it just selling beans to a big company or, or what? So maybe give us some more background and detail there. Sure. Um, I mean, that is an option being a, what's called generally a monocrop farmer where you grow one or two vegetables and you sell it to a, usually a food distribution house or a business. Um, you know, and that's some of the stuff you see on the news of the farmers throwing away a couple hundred thousand pounds of zucchini because that's obviously all they grow and they don't have a distribution system set up. Um, what I did is I grew, um, wouldn't exactly say custom, but we grew between 120 and 150 different varieties of vegetables every year. And so as a farmer, that's super exciting for me and fun. Because after you kind of learn to grow 
you know, some of the standard vegetables, it, it can get a little monotonous. So growing a lot of unique vegetables that taste different and have slightly growing, different growing challenges. Um, as a farmer, for me, it was super exciting. And then the chefs loved it because they got access to stuff that they really couldn't get anywhere else. So different varieties from all over the world, um, also taste, things like that. So, um, you know, over the years, I developed a pretty strong relationship with a lot of the chefs. Uh, I treated it very, very much like you should, that it's a business. So um, I use technology. I use uh, text and email. And, you know, obviously that's not super tech savvy, but <laughs> in the farming world it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah. So, so uh, what, what was some kind of fun things that you grew, like some different stuff that we, we might not know about? Sure. Um, I mean, I love peppers. Um, I'm originally from Southern Arizona and then grew up in New Mexico. So I've always loved peppers. Um, so I love growing lots of the different varieties. Um, they started developing some that um, were like a heatless habanero. So it sort of you bite it and you think it's going to be super hot and kill you like a habanero but then no heat ever comes and it kind of has this fruity aftertaste. Uh, there's another one called an Ajia Molirillo that is a tiny little yellow pepper. And at first it has this lemony flavor and then a tremendous heat hits you, um, which you don't forget. Um, <laughs> so those are some I love. Uh, I also love potatoes. Um, I just always have. In Texas, we can't grow. I mean, there's thousands of varieties of potatoes. Um, but yeah, we can't grow all of them, but we can grow quite a few. And probably my favorite would be the German butterball. Um, it tastes like a potato that you've already coated in butter, but doesn't have any on it. I was going to say, that already sounds good. Like yeah. just the name of it. Yeah. We always joked around. We look at the seed catalogs that we call it farmer porn because there's just tremendous amount of seeds. And uh, as someone who is obsessed with growing things, that's the exciting thing for me. So let's talk about seeds for a second, because you, you read of all these articles and, you know, and I, oh, by the way, I'm from Kansas. So I, I grew up in the country, you know, a uh, couple acres in front of me before a town of 200 people yeah. and 99 acres behind me. Right. <laughs> we didn't own all that. We only owned an acre, but uh, all everyone else around us owned a bunch. But um, so you read a lot about seeds and how they're controlled and all that. It, it, was that the case? Did you have a good experience with that? Like, tell us a little bit more about that world. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of the stuff you hear and read is sort of sensationalized. Um, now, I'm not a, I never grew GMO seeds, but the reality to get access to them is you have to sign legal documents because it's controlled property. So you're not going to just stumble across them at Home Depot. Um, you know, is there less and less varieties? Yes, but that's due to crops being grown for shipability and durability. And so there is a resurgence of heirloom crops and different things like that. Um, from a commercial perspective as a farmer, there's always that way, like, can I grow this crop? And yes, maybe it tastes 25% better, but it yields at half. And so then you have to be able to have that conversation for me to be with the chefs and express, you know, for me to grow this crop, Yes, it does have this different taste, but you're going to have to pay this much more. Otherwise, it's not sustainable for me to grow it. And, you know, and sometimes it just, it doesn't make sense to actually grow the crop. Um, and then there are some that are heirlooms that have been commercially grown for a long time, butternuts and tomatoes and stuff. So, you know, it's a, it is a fine balance. As far as access to the seeds, I never had a hard time until COVID-19 when all the seed companies sold out. <laughs> 
uh, interesting. Uh, well, let's dive into COVID then. Like, so what ha- is this? Is this how you guys came up with this idea? Like, uh, and how has COVID um, affected your life? Uh, mostly in the uh, cultivate slash farming world. Uh, it is how Luke and I started working together. I had kind of been doing it um, since I closed the farm because I just can't really stop growing things. Um, so he then, you know, he's been in software um, for a long time and he's done some pretty cool stuff, but he's always sort of had that feeling that wasn't fulfilling this deeper life mission. And um, I guess seeing everything was happening, I, guess, I don't know if that's what sparked the idea or, and I know, I know we have talked about technology in the past, but just never, I don't know, synced up. Um, so that is what, how Cultivate was born was because of the COVID crisis. Um, you know, as someone who's been around food for a long time, I'm not um, unaware of the delicate balance America has with food. Um, but a lot of people started thinking about that after they started realizing, wow, the food supply could be interrupted. Um, and I don't think, you know, and it's also, there's a lot of benefit and happiness that comes from growing your food, relaxation, and just that kind of security of knowing, hey, at least I've got some tomatoes in my front yard or my backyard. Um, so, I mean, it's, it was definitely the catalyst. As far as how it's affected us, um, I've never launched a business before during a pandemic, so... Um, it is a little challenging. Normally I go out and talk to people and I would be going to meetings and things like that, but they're not existing now. So it's a little harder to get awareness about a business out right now. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Uh, I do think that sometimes, and by the way, my background, I'm more, I'm very much in the online world, e-commerce, online stores, uh, telling your story online, doing podcasts online, obviously. Um, but I also think it's going to force you to use the technology, to lean on the technology even more, not only to launch your business, but to grow your business, whether you're starting now or you've been in business for a long period of time. So I, it, I, there's some benefits, but it is painful when you just want to go out and shake hands with somebody, right? And yeah. just go and meet them, right? Yeah. And I'm, as a farmer, I'm sure that's how you grew your business for a long period of time. So what about any recommendations of one, somebody that wants to, all right, it's June 1st. We're here in Texas, Central Texas, Austin. What can I grow? Is there anything I can grow right before summer starts? Like, is that just dead? No way, or or is there some stuff that actually you would recommend? No, you can still grow some stuff. Um, you know, you can still plant uh, melons, watermelons. There are some cucumbers that are actually technically in the melon family. Um, they originated from India, so they're able to handle the heat. Um, it's called pain and serpent. Um, some people call them striped cucumber because they don't like the name serpent in their food. Um, <laughs> You can also grow southern southern beans. Uh, you can do okra for sure if you wanted to. Um, you can do eggplant, uh, tomatoes, and peppers. And you know, it all depends on the heat because the plants will grow just fine, but tomatoes stop setting around 77 degrees of an average temperature. So that's daytime and nighttime combined and then divided. Um, so, you know, if temperatures stay lower like they kind of have been for here, um, you might be able to get away with it. I probably wouldn't recommend it. Um, but you can really start kicking off again then in um, mid-July and then August again. And before you know it, September will be here. And that's the that's really the exciting time to grow in Texas because the amount of stuff you can grow. You can, still, you can still plant some, you know, late season summer stuff, zucchini, at the same time you're planting broccoli. So it's a little, little weird, but. Uh, <laughs> um, sure, sure. So when September rolls around, what are you going to be growing yourself? Uh, myself, um, I'll 
put in some more zucchini and squash, carrots, beets, radishes. Um, can't wait to start some salad. I love fresh lettuce. Um, you know, it's one of those things people don't think things like that taste different, but once you get used to eating it, you don't really want to eat it when it's not fresh. Um, and I, I love uh, cabbage, cauliflower, and broccoli. Um, I don't know if there's really any vegetables I don't like, actually. So, <laughs> see, again, like I said, I grew up in the country and we did have a pretty good sized garden. And I didn't realize like radishes don't taste the way that I thought they taste. Like the, what we had was these really good, intense radishes, a lot of flavor. And then you go to the store and you're like, oh, they killed it. They, they you know, they just removed all that, all that intense, like, I don't know if you call it, it's not really heat, but it's like this intense flavor. Um, and that's interesting to me. And that's not just the case for radishes. As, as I started fi- figuring out, even lettuce can be even too much sometimes, or cucumbers can be sometimes a little tarty. Yep. But uh, so how did, is that part of, I don't know my question there, but like maybe just talk about that for a second. The difference between your store-bought big brand stuff versus kind of some of this locally, locally grown stuff. Sure. Uh, I mean, to me, I don't think that most people are going to convert their whole yard into um, an urban farm and supply all their own produce. My hope is that they get a part of it from their, their own yard and they have that connection to growing food again and realize that things taste different. Um, and if they have kids, that their kids are exposed to it. And you know, maybe we have some, some younger people coming up from them that are inspired to change the food system to get nutrition back in vegetables. And just, I think by people eating the food, it makes that light bulb go off, which makes you wonder how do they make it tasteless? And does that mean that, you know, they continue to buy rest of their food from local farms? Yeah, that would be ideal and great. But I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a pragmatic person and convenience of the grocery stores is just really hard to beat. But if we can start getting people demanding that, the local grocery stores carry local produce and they work out agreements with the local farmers where they're paying a fair price and both people make their money. That would be my dream is to people to start understanding food a little better that, you know, tomatoes aren't and supposed I, to be mealy. They're supposed to be full of taste. There's tons of tomatoes and they all, some are acidic, some are sweet, some are tangy, some are thick skin, some are thin skin. And there's a reason for all of that, but you have to experience it to understand what it is. And I think there's more legs than you think with that stuff. So we get, um, we use a service called Lettuce, kind of similar to like a Blue Apron, but it's a local, uh, and they just deliver the food, right? And then we can get extra packages. Like, so I don't have to go to the store. So when COVID happened, we were very lucky is I'm, I am a little bit of a doomsday prepper in the very, very slight sense, like, you know. I got 30 days worth of food, right? Not stuff that you're going to want to eat, but a lot of beans and rice, right? I got got some extra water. I was a Boy Scout, so I could worry about that stuff. But then we have lettuce. So like they would deliver three meals that we'd cook, but then we also got add on just extra vegetables, right? So I think that, look, you're not going to convince me to go to a farmer's market three days a week, but you might convince me not to go anywhere (laughs) three days a week. (laughs) Uh, and I'm in on that because if I can trust the source that it's coming from, that they're c- curating it for me, which they do a better job than I would do at the store, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's where a lot of this technology will come into play 
And I'm very excited to see what that future is. Um, yeah, I would often so, have conversations with other farmers when I used to sell the farmer's markets. They'd always get frustrated that people weren't coming. And I would you know, eventually ask them, well, would you be here if you weren't selling it? Like, I don't want to stand here when it's 95 degrees when there's an air-conditioned building. Like, that's just be realistic about how you're going to change people's habits. Like, that's, you know... <laughs> You just have to be realistic. You can wish one thing, but the reality of how it's going to be is just fairly different. Um, and there's some fantastic here in Austin, and I have a lot of listeners all over the country and in the world, actually. But um, so in Austin, it's it's very hot often, but a lot we have a, a a plethora of very nice days. We have over 300 days of sunshine. So like, hey, it's a Saturday, and it's you know 10:30 a.m. and it's nice outside. Yeah, my wife and I and take the uh, our dog out. We'll go there and. And hang out, but like if it's if it's a hundred and five, like I'm I'm not going. Like it's just it, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. Um, talk to me. You were um, featured in a book called mm-hmm. America Farm to Table. Uh, give us the story about the author because he's uh, you're probably going to give a better intro about the author than I will, and maybe that what happened there. Um, well, the the author I guess who is technically named after is Mario Patelli. Um, and he kind of got caught up in the Me Too movement. So, um, uh, yeah. Now, the actual person I ever met from the book was actually the guy who wrote it was Jim Webster. Uh, so he came down with a photographer and everything. I actually never met Mario. Uh, I'm actually still friends with Jim. He's the uh, food editor for the Washington Post now. Um, so we got in the book, Bryce Gilmore of Barley Swine. Um, He's in the book as well. And I asked him, who's your favorite farmer? And he told him me. And so that was how we ended up in the book. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I, I, Jim's a, a, a character. Um, he's been involved in several other cookbooks with some famous chefs as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a first for me. So it was fun. <laughs> Did you end up getting any new business out of something like that? Or was it just kind of cool, one of those fun things? Um, I don't know. I mean, honestly... I had to stop accepting new chefs because I was full. And so we ended up having a waiting list. It's a tough problem to have. It's a very, yeah, very tough problem to have. As a business person, it's a little frustrating because I had a hard time finding um, the labor I needed. And that's a common problem in farming. And, you know, it's one reason there's more and more of the monocrop farms is because they have technology to solve the labor issue. But, you know, it's a machine that does one thing. And so, you know, they have a machine that could say harvest romaine head lettuces, and that's pretty much all it does. But to justify that half million dollar machine, they've got to grow more romaine head lettuces. And so you end up with a farmer who grows just romaine head lettuces, partly to pay for the machine. So as far as a small farmer, we just don't, there isn't a plethora of uh, usable technology. So... I think I could get what you're saying there is if you could get more people to work in the farming industry, you could have probably scaled up even more your farm. Is that, is that kind of a oh, right way of looking at it? There was no shortage of demand. There was none whatsoever. I mean, it was more demand than I could have possibly met. Um, you know, I, I arranged at one time I was doing four different avenues for, for sales and then the last five years, I just did one and I couldn't even keep up with that. Very interesting. Uh, and I think there's a lot of pockets of this in, in, the, in our nation and as well as the world. 
Uh, you know, you'd listen to Mike Rowe talk about the, you know, the labor jobs and there's just no demand for them. And it's very interesting because you look at the unemployment rate right now and I understand COVID and I, I totally get it. And that's, that's a tough deal. And it's also puts people in an interesting spot, but this is a moment in time. So let's just remove COVID from that conversation. Um, you know, <laughs> if you're struggling, you know, maybe it's time to find something a little outside your comfort zone, get a skill or two that's outside. I also think it's a very rewarding process. Is it hard? Yes, but it's good. It's very different. You know, um, you might be replacing stress to your body from the stress from your mind, uh, that you're getting at your current job. But, um, yeah, yeah it's, it, that's interesting. And, and, um, so like when you talk about the labor issues that you had, like, was it something where you were needing one or two people or was it just literally like you couldn't even find any, like maybe give a little bit more story there. Cause I think it's interesting. Um, I mean, I could find people and they would generally stay three to six months and then it just kind of warm out. Yeah. And, so turnover was high. Yeah. And I mean, I understand it is, it is a hard job. Um, I, you know, it took its toll on my body, honestly. Um, so that was the big issue is, and People think of it as unskilled, which is kind of unfortunate. It actually takes quite a bit of skill. Um, when you're doing anything commercially, time is money. And so it takes you a while to learn out the most effective way to pick a pepper or pick squash or anything. And, you know, oftentimes I would get people trained up to the level where they were highly proficient and then they would get bored and quit. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that, that, that happens in a lot of, a lot of jobs. So yeah. talk, tell me about, maybe define what a farm box is for people who don't know. And my guess is like a four foot by eight foot type of kind of like the raised garden we have in the backyard and, and like what you suggest or what you think those, should, you know, maybe give us just a little bit of overview of what a farm box is and and, 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 and your description of it. Sure. You pretty much hit it on the head. It's a four by eight box. Um, you know, we can build them out of pine or cedar or some of the, different jobs where we're working with landscape architects. There's lots of leather materials, but four by eight is the optimum size for being able to reach it. Um, then we fill it with a custom made soil blend of soil. I've kind of developed as my own secret recipe over the years where I add lots of other amendments and things like that to really give the vegetables like this rocket growing medium. Um, it's all organic. And then we supply a drip irrigation watering system. So you're, watering the plants right at the roots, which could be a huge issue in Texas. If you foliar water, spray the leaves, um, if you start growing fungal diseases and it wastes a ton of water. And then um, we also provide the plants and the seeds. Um, and then if you're signed up for our ongoing farm partnership program, we'll come by bi-weekly, cultivate the, the beds, check for pests, fungus diseases, and then we plant um, on our agreed upon kind of planting schedule. And then as far as your involvement, the only thing you're required to do is uh, water, turn the water on and off. And if you want to be more involved and learn more about what's going on, that's great. If you want us to handle it, you just want to come out and harvest it and enjoy the bounty, that works too. So that's kind of the system. And, you know, you can buy one box uh, or you could buy 10 boxes, depending on how many people in your household and how much you want to eat out of it. We kind of generally recommend one box per adult. And it sounds to me from what you said that you like your you, only way to get your soil, that's the exciting soil is to, to get a box from y'all too. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I guess kind of like KFC, I'm not going to give away my recipe. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's super fun. Um, 
And I think this might be an obvious question, but I'm going to ask anyway. So why do the box as opposed to just like going in the ground, right? Like, why do I need this? Well, in Austin, we, we are blessed to have a tremendous amount of soil types and some where there's a quarter inch of top soil followed by limestone rock. Um, somewhere it's just black gumbo clay and, you know, it's all over the place. So really the kind of the only option is to go up for any sort of, you know, a system. Um, yeah, obviously commercial farming, you're generally still doing it in the dirt, but you know, agricultural land is getting harder and harder to come by and it's not generally in suburbs. Yeah. Just to add a point to what you're saying, cause I already knew the answer obviously, but I like to ask <laughs> questions. So I'm from Kansas, like I said, and it's funny how much I'm bringing this up, but we said, you know, you could till the garden, you could do a bunch, you can drill, you could use a hoe, you can get really fat, you can do a lot real quick. So we're, we, uh, this is two years ago or so, three years ago, before Tom Petty passed away, we, we were able to, we had tickets to this concert, and I had about an hour before we needed to leave, 45 minutes. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this raised garden in no time. Like, yeah, you just, just, you just got to go down like six inches, four inches, whatever it is. This will take two minutes. And no, it was like rocks every, I did, like I was sprinting along the lines of try like to get, get it done in like 50 minutes, took a super fast shower to leave. I couldn't, I couldn't get anywhere. Like, and I was just like, all I had to do is like, um, shovel down like a couple inches. Like this should be so easy, but nothing would grow in that without the raised bed. I can guarantee you that, 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 that is not the fertile ground of can- middle of Kansas. I can tell you that. Too much. Yeah. My, my brother wanted to install a, a fire pit at his place. And uh, he spent the whole weekend pickaxing and he oh. ended up with like an eight inch divot. And so when he decided he wanted to grow some food, it was the same type of thing. It's like, yeah, we got to go up. And you know, in the boxes you get about 11 inches of soil, which is enough to really, you know, provide plants a really good place to grow. So yeah. So, um, what about any myths to the farming world that you kind of hear often and it could be farming or any world that you're in, just kind of any, anything that you hear that you're just like, that's not at all how it is. Oh, well, I'm, it, it's a myth that unfortunately has often become true. And I don't know, I don't know exactly how it happened. Um, but that you have to be poor to be a farmer. That ah, this like yeah. Trade off between income and love of farming. And it, as a farmer and a businessman, it was something that offended me at a very, very deep level. Um, I've you know been in business for myself pretty much my whole life. Um, I started selling tomatoes when I was nine, and I just I don't have that personality that I'm going to walk around with my hand out, and you know feel like there's most problems you can figure out. You know, we got hit by Harvey Horrible. It probably hit us for $50,000. And, you know, yeah, that happens a whole bunch of times in a row. <laughs> it's going to put the <laughs> nail in the coffin. But, you know, it's the same as like any bad business thing that happens. Um, so that was the one that offended me the most. And I don't really know why it started because most farmers, particularly larger scale ones, are some pretty um, determined folks that don't easily ask for help. And, you know, so I don't really know where that one got started. Um, that's probably my biggest one, actually. And the other one about no, GMO seeds, that it's like somehow they're hiding, like waiting to jump in your garden. Um, I mean, Monsanto or now it's Bear Chemical, 
you know, controls that. They've spent a lot of money perfecting those seeds to do what they want them to do. And it's their trade secrets. They don't want to just give them out. Um, so I, I, I don't know why that got spread as something to go against GMO seeds to convince people that they're hiding in every pocket and going to jump in your garden. You know, the debate if they're good or not is for a different time, I suppose. But I don't think it really helps the situation when everybody's worried about everything being GMO. Well, the GMO, I always love the, uh, to point out, look at a banana from a hundred years ago <laughs> to the banana you eat now. And, uh, that, that there's your, there's your best GMO. There's some, now I get it. There's a balance. There's a balance in life. There has to be a balance. You yeah. can't go too far one way or the other, but I guarantee you're not eating that banana that with full of seeds and way different than it is nowadays. So, yeah. um, yeah, this is, you know, like said cotton, I used to uh, live up by Lubbock which is a big cotton country in North Texas. And the farmers there used to say they're in cotton seeds. And over the years, they've uh, transitioned to GMO cotton because it's Roundup ready. They can defoliate it, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, when they first introduced it, it was like $50 for a 50 pound bag. And every decade, they just keep adding another 50 or a hundred dollars. And now it's like $350 and the price of cotton has hardly gone up. So that's where I see the downside that the farmers really get hurt. Um, you know, is that intentional? <laughs> Probably. I mean, <laughs> it's controlling the market. Yeah. So, so, so why don't you walk me through like a normal day in your life? You know, you don't have to do it like so much. It could be the COVID day, but, or, or maybe when you were a farmer, whatever is kind of fun and interesting. Like, uh, you know, is it something like where you're waking up four in the morning type of thing? Or like, you know, walk me through that. Um, you know, when I was farming, that was much more the case. So I do admit that I don't have that schedule anymore because most people don't want you in their backyard at 630. It's a little creepy. Um, so that is an upside, actually, because I am not a morning person by nature. Um, so generally now, you know, it depends if we, we usually install, we have to plan the boxes out several weeks because I actually grow the plants because it's very important to me that we have the right varieties. So say if you're going to have a box installed, it's got to be four weeks from now so I can grow all the plants out. So, you know, some days we might have an install. Someday I'm going to people's houses, doing a site consult, making sure they have enough sun, level enough, different things like that. Um, so as you, anytime you're a business owner, there's always lots of different stuff, especially as you're starting because you're wearing all the hats. Um, sure. As far as and a then, normal day in the life of a farmer, probably one that maybe people that go to farmer's markets, but they don't think about is, so I would get up about 4.30. The farmer's market starts at 9, I believe. So we would have to load up all the produce because they were all in walking coolers and you can't just leave them in your vehicles overnight. That doesn't work. So we would load up uh, oh, 2,000 pounds of produce, <laughs> drive it to the market, set up the tent, set up the tables, unload it all, display it, then be there until 2 o'clock. So it was 10 to 2. Yeah, 10 to 2. But some people got there earlier. Or 9 to 1. one to two. It was four hours long. So after the end of it, we carry everything Load up any stuff we didn't sell, take it all back home. Um, and by the time you get back to the farm and unload it, it's five o'clock <laughs> and it's a very yeah. long day and it's a lot of work. And a lot of people, you know, if the farmers are counting on you to be a customer, you kind of need to make that commitment because they're going to pick the stuff and it can't go back on the plant. So this is something that I think people don't often think about. Oh, well, I'm not going to go today. I'll go next week. And it's like, well, it won't be there next week. That that's gone. So, um, you know, 
I so what would what would happen? Say you sold half of what you're what you brought to the farmers market. What what happens to the other half? Um. Well, that was that was a bigger problem when we first started. Um, that was that was our food for the next week. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we had animals and stuff, or um, you know would give to people in our community and need and stuff. And we the the food bank in Bastrop, we actually gave them so much food they asked us to stop. Um, one week we gave them uh, when we had a whole bunch of chickens and uh, I it was something crazy like a hundred dozen eggs and they just didn't have room to store them. Um, so Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. They were a pretty small food bank and weren't equipped to handle it. So when we would show up with like 200 pounds of cucumbers. <laughs> yeah, what are, what are you going to do? They would kind of want uh, like a mixed selection. I was like, well, that's not generally how it works here. <laughs> so, yeah. but you know, as you get better and over time and it's one of those things, it's important to keep track of data. So I could look at my records and we would know this is what we sold on average. We kept track of all of that because there was, you know, there was no point for me to load up a whole bunch of stuff or pick it that I knew wasn't going to sell. So, you know, we always tried to have just like one or two of everything left because then we know we didn't reach market saturation. And if, you know, we had 10 of something left, well, we certainly didn't pick that much next week. And sometimes there's fluctuations in weather and all of that. But, um, there's one reason that actually working with the chefs was a lot better for me because there's predictability. Uh, you know, and all restaurants have seasonality too, but over years of working with the same chefs, you kind of learn their seasonality. And so you can kind of pair with them. So, um, yeah, there's a lot yeah, of variables in farming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, you know, it's very similar to other businesses. You got to have your inventory management. You don't want to over stock your inventory. The big problem with, your inventory is not like you can just uh, hold on to it for another six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it goes to zero real quick, value-wise. Yeah, I always, um, you know, it's very much like owning most small businesses. And uh, I have owned some different avenues, actually. The only difference is you're growing, making the widget, and it's outside. But besides that, it's the same type of things. you got to know your cogs and all of that. And I talk to farmers, and they don't even understand basic business terms it just i think that's where the poor farmer thing comes in sure that makes sense too so what, what with cultivate what's kind of the um give me more of the three five-year plan i mean is that something that you want to expand outside of the your the austin texas area to like nationwide or is it you know or do you just want to kind of I mean, just whatever it is you know what what's kind of the longer term plan um the dream is definitely to expand it as, as far as possible um, I would love to help, you know, everybody that I could possibly reach grow food however I can. Um, you know, again, I don't, I'm not, <laughs> I don't think we're going to be replacing the vegetable needs a hundred percent, but if we had an impact of five or 10%, I would be incredibly pleased with my life for that. Um, so that's one, it's one thing with the technology that will allow us to do is to expand more. Um, because everybody won't have to be trained by me. We'll have technology to do that. And so, you know, like when we had the farm, I had training manuals. And so it's sort of like that kind of idea of taking that knowledge, uh, transitioning it to technology, and then using some of the machine learning to help us. Um, but, you know, having that, and, you know, that's, that's both of our dream is basically to help as many people as we possibly can grow food. Um, and what's been some of your favorite memories or stories 
over the course of whether it's just the cultivate or farming or whatever, wherever you want to take that of, of, of being in this business? To me, it's seeing someone. It was, when we had the farm, we had a lot of the restaurants. They would send their crews out to volunteer. And a lot of that was for education that they understood what farming was like and how vegetables grew. But seeing people, that kind of connection made, you can almost always see it in their eyes. Like, ah, oh, uh, that is so cool to me. Um, I love seeing little kids. Like uh, when I'm at a client's house and say they're, you know, I was at a client's house and they were you picking stuff and just look on the kid's face. It's like that new connection of learning something. Um, you know, my kids are teenagers now, so I can't teach them anything anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, I love that part. Um, for me personally, I've never gotten over the amazement of planting a seed and then seeing it sprout and then eventually harvesting it. I just, it always blows my mind that, you know, I love systems and things to be efficient and nature's just figured it out. It doesn't waste energy. And I just, I think that's so cool. And no matter how many times I experience it, I'm always just like, oh, I don't know. I, I'm a total dork when it comes to it. I admit it. <laughs> I love it. That's actually pretty, pretty fantastic. So um, what does success look like for you? We came up with what we kind of defined for that is our success is measured by your harvest. So I really don't feel like this can be a successful business if people aren't successfully harvesting vegetables. That's, that's actually like you actually had an answer for that. A lot of times people that, that stumps them, although it's a very basic question, right? Um, so as far with, with the COVID, with, with your current, the cultivate, which is, you know, a pretty new company, it sounds like, was there any, like, anything that you wish you would have known right when you started or, or, or has it, or is it too kind of new that where, where you're still just kind of figuring it out as you go? It's really kind of too new. Uh, yeah, I guess it would be May 1st. We didn't officially launch until... I think May 22nd or so. No, maybe a little mid-May, something like that. So yeah, it hasn't been long. Um, so I'm sure we'll find new things. You know, it, the biggest thing is, <coughs> pardon me, not knowing how to launch a business during a pandemic. I just don't have any experience with that. And really no one else does. So I'm happy to go ask other people, but you ask 10 people and you're going to get 10 different answers, um, <laughs> which, you know, makes sense. Uh, you know, so I guess I my, business, que my question back to you on that one would be, would you have done a podcast or reached out to get on a podcast if it wasn't COVID? Um, I would have. I don't know if I would have put the same level of priority, but you know, I like technology. I like video. I like podcasts. I like communicating with people in all the forms, but mm -hmm. I probably would have went back to my old knee jerk reaction of going to gardening groups, going to libraries, talking in front of 10 people, which, um, you know, I don't consider myself a Luddite, but sometimes I'm a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I am an optimist, so I just look at the silver linings here a little bit, you know, and I, I think I, I'm a, I am excited about some of the stuff that is going to stay around like this type of stuff and getting someone like you that might not have done this as much. Um, and I, I just, you know, I even look at to my business wise is like, now almost all my meetings are, are done through this video chat and we share screens. And I used to have to like pull teeth to get people to do that. They would never, they would just call. There was always a call-in number. They just, 
And then I would, then it would sharing screens would have helped so much sometimes. Uh, but I think that'll stay around. And that's a very basic one. I think, I think really what it'll be is people are going to want some of the conveniences. Um, like if I go to a store or if I'm going to order a sandwich, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to order. I just want to pick it up or have it delivered, whatever. I don't need to wait in a line and, and talk to somebody. Right. I think some of that stuff's going to stay around. Uh, what about any mentors or any, any people in your life or books that have kind of helped you through your journey? Um, yeah, there's been a lot of people throughout my life um, that have really helped me. Uh, some books, um, I really like the Michael Gover books, The E-Myth. Um, again, talks about systems. Um, one book I actually found really impactful was Bill McKibben. Um, he wrote a book about um, the economy and how having a sustainable economy and what that looks like. Um, it's actually the book that got me back into farming because I had gotten out of farming for probably any agricultural stuff for five years. I was just kind of, I don't know. I wouldn't say disgusted with it, but just didn't feel like it was going in a direction that I wanted to be part of. And that was more large scale agriculture. Um, so um, and that's a new economy, I think it's called by Bill McKibben. Um, you know, and I've been lucky to have a lot of really smart people around me. Um, sometimes. <laughs> uh, so I can't really name one person, um, you know, I've just, I've had a lot of friends throughout my life that have owned their own businesses. And I like to have friends that are totally different businesses. Like some, I, um, I haven't initially been friends with a lot of farmers cause you hang out with farmers and that's all they talk about, which I love yeah. farming, but sometimes I want to talk about something different. Um, so, uh, you know, and everybody has different ideas. And it's one thing I really love about working with Luke is cause he is so much on like, you know, he loves Slack and all that. He'll send me Slack calls randomly. And I'm like, who's calling my computer? Um, but it forces me to realize, wow, there's some really useful technology here. <laughs> and, you know, and oh, that's part, so funny. Uh, part of the hiccup is that out where we had the farm, um, we had satellite. We did not have fast enough internet to even live to stream Netflix. And so I'd gotten used to being out of the loop which, you know, was frustrating even out there. So, um, you know, I think as far as country, that is something we need to fix. We need to get rural high-speed internet everywhere because you're leaving a huge segment of the American population behind the technology boom. Yeah, and the internet's uh, the ultimate, uh, it levels the playing field. And to me, that, that is so important. And education will lift somebody out of poverty faster than anything. Um, in any program. Uh, and with the internet, there's a lot of self-education that can happen. And if you do not have fast internet, I, I tell you what, I learned more from YouTube than probably anything, right? Uh, you know, probably more than, actually not probably, more than college. So, you know, that is something that I'm very passionate about is to get high-speed internet to everyone. And I, I mean everyone, not just US. Uh, to me, everyone should have that. Um, well, I, and I've read of countries like doing other or companies already working on in other countries, like the uh, high-speed internet balloons and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely a thing. Yeah. And 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 that's just one one idea. There's going to be a lot of different. Do we need a uh, a permanent structure to get this? And then technology will also help. Uh, you know, unfortunately, with the way that our technology profile is happening with internet, is the the faster the speed, the lower the the shorter it reaches. So that's actually kind of backwards in helping that, but. Um, 
I, I think we're in a moment in time here of this stuff. I think this will, will change. Um, what about any, any regrets with the, along your journey? Mm. Ooh. Not really. I mean, I've lived a pretty interesting life. Um, you know, probably a lot of more regrets when I was younger, but we don't need to talk about the wild days. Uh, you know, I really doubt because I feel like I've learned something from everything. Um, you know, it was really hard when we had to sell the farm, and that was due to some health issues I had had, um, partly from just abusing my body and not treating it correctly and just working, you know, 70 hours a week for a decade. That way doesn't, your body eventually says no. So I, maybe I regret not treating my body with some, a little more respect, but I think it led me here um, because I never would have had the time to do this and run a farm. And so I can't really regret that because then I wouldn't be here. And I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. And so I guess I always, you know, sometimes it's hard, and, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, very emotionally connected to my farm and it was a sad experience for me. And it was hard for my kids. That's where they were pretty much raised. Um, but, you know, like you say, if you look for the silver lining, you can often find it. So I could have chose to be sad and bitter about it or look for something else to present itself. Um, you know, would I ever preferred it not be a global pandemic? Yes, but it happened. And so we're going to try and do something that'll help people and maybe do a shift and who knows where it'll be in six months or a year. Um, I try not to have too much control over things because it doesn't seem to matter anyway. <laughs> Speaking of those wild times, um, any advice you'd give your 16 year old self? Oh, don't break so many bones. <laughs> they do come back to get you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had a lot of fun, but uh, I, I definitely believe in, living to the fullest and, you know, uh, didn't really worry about the aftermaths too much. <laughs> I, 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 I could attest to that as well. Um, and kind of my, this is my last question. I asked everyone this question is, uh, how would you like to be remembered? I would like to be remembered as someone who gave more than he took. Well, I love it. Well, Nathan, it was a super pleasure to have you on the Establishing Your Empire podcast. I really appreciate your time, and I'm really excited to see what Cultivate, where it goes, and, and hopefully we could get more small farms, locally grown produce, kind of have more people experience it, right? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. All right cheers. cheers.